You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Evolution is nature's way of upgrading biological hardware so animals can continue to thrive in a changing environment. When swallows in Nebraska saw their nests blown off cliff faces during storms, they started building them on highways and bridges instead. Unfortunately, passing cars and trucks would flatten them before the birds had a chance to escape. Nature's answer? Shorter wings. The cliff swallow's wings eventually shrunk by a few millimeters to make its liftoffs faster, allowing it to escape imminent death from oncoming traffic. African elephants have also changed, but not due to cars. Poachers have decimated the elephant populations in some areas in pursuit of their tusks. Those tusks are used by the males to fight off competition when looking for a mate. But because the long-tusked elephants have been hunted to near extinction, short-tusked elephants have prospered. How so? They're passing down their genes to their offspring, many of which will grow up to not have tusks at all. A tuskless elephant used to be an anomaly. Now they make up almost half the elephant population in parts of Africa. Nature took away what made them valuable to poachers, and I think that's pretty darn cool. And then there's the common duck. It flies. It floats. It eats bread in the park. Female ducks have evolved to prevent, uh, let's just say, persistent males from engaging in unwanted mating. But the males have also evolved in unique ways. One particular duck in 18th century France had advanced beyond all others to become a big part of history. And it was all thanks to a man named Jacques de Vaucusson. Vaucusson was one of ten children born to an impoverished glove maker. He had wanted to become a clockmaker, but chose to pursue a life within the church instead. It was only after an encounter with French surgeon Claude Nicolas Luquette that he rediscovered his love of engineering and mechanics. Lucat taught Vaucusson about anatomy, which gave the aspiring clockmaker ideas about blending the human body with the mechanical. For example, musicians were known to be well-trained experts in the art of playing a particular instrument. But what if someone could play music without ever having touched a violin or a guitar before? In 1737, Vaucusson got to work assembling bladders to act as lungs that would blow air into a flute, while gears and levers would move the player's fingers over the holes, creating the individual tones. It was a modern marvel, but only a precursor to his next subject, the duck. Vaucusson built an apparatus comprised of moving gears that would allow a duck to bend its head down and eat pellets, then digest those pellets into excrement. The duck could also drink water, splash around with its bill, and make a gurgling sound. You're probably wondering why Vokusan had to get involved when the duck didn't do anything other ducks couldn't already do. 
that's because his duck only looked like it was alive. In fact, neither the duck nor the flute player had ever lived before. They were automatons. When it wasn't moving, the flute player looked like a well-crafted marble statue. But as soon as Vokusan got its gears turning, the statue took on an incredibly lifelike appearance. Rumor had it that in order for its fingers to properly cover the holes, they were covered in human skin. But such claims have never been confirmed to be true. The digesting duck, though, was even more realistic. Vokusan modeled its movements on those of a real duck and worked tirelessly to make it replicate actions like eating and digesting as accurately as possible. When it ate a pellet, the morsel would travel through the digestive system until it was expelled as feces out the other end, just like a living creature. Vokusan created a third automaton, dubbed the tambourine player, that was much like the flute player built previously. But the duck seemed to be the real star of the show. Vokusan presented his creations to the French Academy of Sciences, as well as to the public, in 1738. Those who witnessed their movements and heard their music were thrilled by such miraculous feats of mechanical engineering. Eventually, the machines made their way to various museums, but were lost over time. The duck was presumed to have been consumed by a fire at a museum in Krakow, Poland in 1879. However, half a century later, an employee at the Museum of Arts and Crafts in Paris discovered photographs taken sometime during the 1920s or 30s of a mechanical duck sitting on top of a large, gear-filled box. Someone had written, Images of Vokusan's duck received from Dresden on them, but their origin was unknown. All we have left of the inventor's three creations are a set of questionable photographs, as well as illustrations from the 19th century of the machines assembled all together on stage. One thing is certain, though. Vokusan may have figured out how to replicate a duck's movement, but he couldn't give it a real digestive system. A magician in 1844 managed to restore the digesting duck to its former glory and discovered that the feces was not comprised of digested pellets after all. It was made of little pieces of bread, dyed green, that were then dropped out of a separate compartment at the rear. Still, despite his inability to create life from mechanical parts, Jacques de Vaucousson had managed to wow the world with the next best thing, proving that he wasn't completely full of it, even if his duck was. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. When she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier, and these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head-on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it.
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. We have become quite the litigious society. Modern history is rife with frivolous lawsuits brought on by people who thought they could exploit a legal loophole for a quick buck. Take Richard Harris, who in 1991 sued Anheuser-Busch for $10,000. His reason? False advertising. It seems that Harris didn't appreciate how the men in beer commercials had success with beautiful women while he floundered in the dating department while he drank. He also blamed the company for getting him sick when drinking excessively. The courts had no problem ruling on such an important legal case. They tossed it out almost immediately. Another case of false advertising hit the docket in 1999 when 21-year-old John Leonard sued Pepsi over its Buy Pepsi, Get Stuff campaign. Leonard, like millions of others around the country, had watched an ad that showed the kinds of products that could be won if an individual earned enough points by buying Pepsi products. A t-shirt, for example, cost 80 points, earned by drinking 40 two-liter bottles of Pepsi. However, among the toys and clothes that the company was offering was something that was never meant to be purchased, a Harrier jet. It appeared at the end of the commercial as a gag with a cost of 7 million points. Pepsi had never considered someone might actually earn that many points, nor did they do the math on how much money 7 million points were worth. But John knew. He learned that points could be purchased for $0.10 apiece as long as he had at least 15 original points earned through Pepsi-Cola. So he sent in a check for just over $700,000, as well as his 15 points, 
and waited for his plane to be delivered. But Pepsi refused to pay up. Leonard took them to court, arguing that the company had committed fraud. A New York judge felt differently, stating that no reasonable person could have assumed that such an offer was realistic. The Pentagon also got involved, explaining that their $34 million fighter jet planes could not be sold in flying shape to the public. So John Leonard and his dreams of flying to class were grounded for good. But Gerald Mayo of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, didn't have a beef to settle with a big evil company. His complaint veered more into the ethereal territory. He wanted to sue evil itself. In 1971, the 22-year-old Mayo was an inmate at Pennsylvania's Western Penitentiary. But it wasn't his fault, you see. According to the claim he filed with the courts, it was Satan who was responsible for his downfall. He alleged that Satan had caused him misery and placed deliberate obstacles in his path to keep him down. Therefore, it was the devil himself who had, and I quote, deprived him of his constitutional rights. But he didn't just slap a lawsuit on the Prince of Evil. The complaint included both Satan and his minions. The court could have immediately thrown the case out on the basis that you can't sue a spiritual being, but Judge Gerald Weber took the complaint seriously. It was literally unprecedented, as no one had ever formally sued the devil before, nor had Satan ever brought a case against anyone else. It was possible, the judge argued, that Satan could be considered a foreign prince given his title and place of residence. If he did appear, he could claim sovereign immunity and therefore avoid all charges. That still wasn't enough to get the case tossed out, though. Surprisingly, Mayo had fulfilled three of the four requirements needed in order to file a class action lawsuit. He was suing on behalf of a large enough population that individual suits would be impossible, his claims could easily be applied to all other members of the class, and there were questions of law and fact that were common to the class as a whole. There were only two things holding Mayo back. First, the court couldn't determine whether he was an adequate representative for the class named in the complaint. And second, the U.S. Marshals had no way to serve Satan with notice of the suit. For those two reasons alone, the claim was denied from proceeding further. It seemed that the devil really was in the details. Gerald Mayo just couldn't find him. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.